Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading 2 Kings chapter 13 from the World English Bible. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel in Samaria for 17 years. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight, and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin. He didn't depart from it. Yahweh's anger burned against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, continually. Jehoahaz begged Yahweh, and Yahweh listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel, how the king of Syria oppressed them. Yahweh gave Israel a savior so that they went out from under the hand of the Syrians, and the children of Israel lived in their tents as before. Nevertheless, they didn't depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, with which he made Israel to sin, but walked in them, and the Asherah also remained in Samaria. For he didn't leave to Jehoahaz of the people any more than fifty horsemen and ten chariots and ten thousand footmen, for the king of Syria destroyed them and made them like the dust in threshing. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz and all that he did, and his might, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? Jehoahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria, and Joash his son reigned in his place. In the thirty-seventh year of Joash king of Judah, Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, began to reign over Israel in Samaria for sixteen years. He did that which was evil in Yahweh's sight. He didn't depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, with which he made Israel to sin, but he walked in them. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, and his might with which he fought against Amaziah, king of Judah, aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Joash slept with his fathers, and Jeroboam sat on his throne. Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now Elisha became sick with the illness of which he died, and Joash the king of Israel came down to him and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Elisha said to him, Take bow and arrows, and he took bow and arrows for himself. He said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow, and he put his hand on it. Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. He said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. He said, Yahweh's arrow of victory, even the arrow of victory over Syria, for you will strike the Syrians in Aphek until you have consumed them. He said, Take the arrows, and he took them. He said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground. And he struck three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria until you had consumed it, whereas now 
you will strike Syria just three times. Elisha died, and they buried him. Now the bands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming in of the year. As they were burying a man, behold, they saw a band of raiders, and they threw the man into Elisha's tomb. As soon as the man touched Elisha's bones, he revived and stood up on his feet. Hazael king of Syria oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz, but Yahweh was gracious to them and had compassion on them and had respect for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would not destroy them, and he didn't cast them from his presence as yet. Hazael king of Syria died, and Ben-Hadad his son reigned in his place. Jehoash the son of Jehoahaz took again out of the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz his father by war. Joash struck him three times and recovered the cities of Israel. That is the end of chapter 13. Here we have our overlapping Joashes, continuing to use the variant spelling of Jehoash sometimes, And I will point you to page 141 of the Chronology of the Old Testament, where the author there explains how by following scripture, it can be seen that Jehoahaz named Jehoash as Prorex, or the future king, three years before he died, three years before Jehoahaz died. So there is some overlapping of the numbers there. The author thoroughly explains his deductive process about this in pages 130 and also pages 135 through 137, and I will read you a short section. This is under point three, titled The Basic Principle Summarized. It should be recalled that with regard to the problems inherent with the chronological computations of this period— Chronologists have from the onset sought to reconcile the apparent discrepancies by assuming co-regencies, overlapping reigns, interregna, or inaccuracies in the biblical account. For the biblicist, the latter is not an acceptable alternative. As for the first two, synchronization between the northern and southern Hebrew kingdoms will be found impossible without them, yet their application to the distinct problems encountered is not dependent upon mere caprice. The harmonization of their data must be such that all co-regencies and interregna be implemented only where there are clear indications in the text. So you can see this is not just something he's assuming to make things work. He has very good reasons for how he works this out, and again, I recommend that book to you. Why is this all important? Because it is a claim that skeptics use that the Bible dates don't add up or line up, and if they don't, then the account is not trustworthy and prophecy is highly suspect. However, once again, it can be shown that the details of the Bible withstand the test of honest evaluation. The skeptics foolishly rejoice too soon and are too eager to fall into their own trap again. This chapter, chapter 13, begins with an overview of kingly kingly accessions and deaths, as well as whether or not these kings walked according to Yahweh's ways. This phrase, walked according to Yahweh's ways, is common enough, but after some repetition, we might forget its implications. To walk in the way gives a picture of personal, step-by-step choices, priorities, and intimate involvement with life. It's not talking about religious forms or habits. 
that even God later points out are meaningless without heartfelt involvement. Walking makes it an issue of daily life and all its activities and relationships. You can't truly separate your choices about faith from the rest of life. Then mid-chapter, verse 14, we get some details about Elisha and his interactions with the Joash, whose death was just recorded in verse 13. First is the expression of Joash's distress about Elisha dying. If you estimate Elisha's age as around 30 when he began to serve Elijah, then do the math about how many years it's been since then to Joash's reign, and this is summarized for you in the chart on page 279 of the chronology of the Old Testament. If you do this math, which I did, then it looks like Elisha was probably around 90 years old when he died, maybe older, maybe more like 96. At the very least, it is 66 years between when Elisha became Elijah's servant and the last year of Joash's reign. Jehoash reigned 16 years and three of those with his father, and since his father is not mentioned in talking to Elisha here, it can be assumed that this is at least into his independent reign. Throughout the chapter, you get this sense of conflict with both Jehoahaz and his son Jehoash in Israel, where they seem to respect and appreciate Elisha and call out to God for help. Verse 4 talks about Jehoahaz doing this, and verse 14 indicates that that's one of the reasons Jehoash is there to see Elisha. He's recognizing where the strength of Israel really comes from. And then when Elisha is guiding Jehoash in petitioning for God's intervention, Elisha clearly thinks Jehoash should have known to be or been inspired to strike the ground with those arrows more. His anger indicates that he thinks Jehoash is somehow apathetic or lacking in faith or maybe lazy. Possibly there's something that everybody knew about this action, but Jehoash does not follow through, and God uses that as a way to limit the blessing he gives him. The account about the man coming alive after touching Elisha's bones is mind-boggling, no more than Elijah going up in a chariot, certainly, but still it's such a powerful exclamation point on Elisha's life. He was a prophet of the living God who brings the dead to life. And what a trip for that man who was dead and then finds himself standing there alive. Then in verse 23, God returns our attention to the fact that his promises are still being fulfilled. He is still sovereign over the affairs of men, able to step into events whenever and however he decides to, no matter whether men or people choose to walk with him or not. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today but not the end of our journey.